This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that as we study this parable by Jesus, we will really mine its depths and that you will convict us of its truth so that we will focus on the eternal. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I had a friend who was migrating and when he decided to migrate, his focus was very much on where he was going, you know, the country he was going, the city he was going to stay in, the church he was going to stay, uh, school his kids were going to go to, the job he was going to get. And when I remember talking to him, he was full of anticipation and uh, excitement about his migration. He didn't think about Singapore anymore, right? He, he was looking forward to the new place he was staying at. Now, today I'm supposed to uh, preach a sermon which sort of wraps up what we've been doing throughout the year. And when I think back to this year, the thing that really struck me was the Bible overview, Bible studies, because I think it's really wonderful that we were able to do it. And it really benefited so many of us in terms of understanding God's big picture, God's great plan for the world. And for myself personally, I learned so much about the grace of God and how all, all the way from the beginning of the Bible to the end, God was showing His grace in bringing us back to Himself and restoring uh, us from the sin of Adam and Eve. I remember sitting in the second last Bible study on Revelation 21-22. Can you all still remember that? If you all can't, we have to do it again next year, right? But it was about heaven and earth, the new heavens and the new earth. Do you remember? And one thing I was struck with was how people didn't seem all that excited about heaven. Uh, I remember in one of the Bible studies I sat in, someone said, oh, you know, will heaven be really boring? Because, you know, we'll just be singing hymns to God all day. Uh, and someone said, oh, you know, I don't really look forward that much to heaven. It's just that I don't really want to go to hell. So I was thinking, one of the problems I think that we face today is we don't really look forward to heaven. I mean, can you imagine? I think my friend looked forward more to migrating than some of us have to go to heaven. So today I want to look at a parable that Jesus spoke. And I've been wanting to to talk on parables for a while because I read this book, uh, which is up here. I can recommend it to you guys. And if you want to buy it, I highly recommend it to you. Because there's so much in the parables that I think we skim over. Because usually we focus on a few parables in one chapter. But each parable in itself has so much to say. So today I want to look at this parable. And it's one of the few parables of Jesus, which speaks specifically about eternal life, and about heaven, and about hell. So today in this passage, it begins in verse 19 of chapter 16. It says, There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we're introduced to two people, rich man, poor man. The rich man is described as being dressed in purple. Uh, In those days, purple was an extraordinarily expensive color. It was a dye made from snails or something. So to wear purple was to basically flaunt your wealth and to wear posh clothes. But not only did he wear purple clothes, he wore fine linen. Again, fine linen was very expensive. 
But I think there's more to the idea than just fine linen because fine linen was also something that people wore as undergarments, you know, your underpants. So it's almost like saying not only did he have posh purple clothes, but even his underpants were made of posh material. He lived in luxury every day. Every meal was a 10-course meal. Every need was met with servants. He denied himself nothing. Here was a picture of casual affluence and sumptuous living. And the last thing we learned about this rich man was he had a gate. Now, I went to Penang last week with my kids. Uh, we were driving and uh, we went to this place called the Blue Mansion. Have you been to the Blue Mansion in Penang? I highly recommend it to you. It's uh, the house of one of Asia's richest men uh, at the turn of the century, Chong Fatsi. And it has 38 rooms. It's got five courtyards. It's got seven staircases and 220 windows. Right? It's one of the most magnificent uh, mansions of its time. When we went to go there, we were stopped at the gate by these security guards because you can't go in unless you're on a tour, right? And one of the things I noticed when I was there was only the very, very rich people in Penang had gates because they were the only people who had large enough compounds with walls. So here, this man had a mansion. We don't know whether it was 38 rooms, right? But it was a mansion. It was a large mansion. He was very rich, living in luxury. And outside this gate, or well, not exactly like this, but you can imagine the scene, was laid a poor man. He was laid there because he was too weak to walk to this rich man's mansion. Someone, some nice relative or good Samaritan would carry him and lay him down there at the gate of this rich man. He was covered with sores, oozing, pus-filled, infected sores, covered his whole body. He was a sick man, and that's probably why he couldn't walk there himself. And he was very hungry. Because when he sat outside the gate, all he longed for were the scraps which fell from the banquet table of this rich man. So the image is very startling. You imagine this rich man, he has a banquet every, every day for every meal. And he's got so much food, it's overflowing, the scraps fall on the floor. And the beggar, all he wants is just some of those scraps. But in the ancient world, apparently, you know, uh, because cloth is very expensive in the ancient world, uh, for the very rich, they would use the scraps of bread and they will use the scraps of bread like uh, to as a napkin. You know, they wipe the corners of their mouth or the edge of the plate or the table, and they would throw it on the ground after they used it. And that's what the beggar wanted to eat—just these scraps and crumbs of bread. That was all he longed for. It was a very desperate, pathetic, and pitiful picture. And the verse ends here by saying, "Even the dogs came and licked his sores." Now, the dogs here are not like your golden retrievers or like your chihuahuas or your pet dogs, you know, your lassies or your, you know, your, I don't know what you call your dogs, Tim Tims or whatever, right? Um, these are the wild scavenger dogs and they came and they licked at his sores. They didn't lick his face in affection, they licked his sores and they caused him more suffering and agony. But I think there's actually a bit more to this verse than meets the eye because the word here for even also can be translated as the word but, right? And I think it sort of implies that this poor man was laid at the rich man's gate day after day after day, but the rich man never came 
to the poor man. He had nothing to do with the poor man. But only the dogs came to this poor man. And they came to this poor man not to comfort him, but to give him more agony. The rich man had nothing to do with this poor man. But the last thing we learn about this poor man is his name was Lazarus. Lazarus means one whom God helps. Now, from reading the parable, the question we have to ask is, how can that be? How can his name be Lazarus? How can this be the one that God helps? Uh, Like Don Carson said in the sermon that I heard on this passage, he was like saying, if this is the one that God helps, then I would like to see the one that God didn't help. Because here is the guy who's poor, he's covered with sores, he's dying, he's sickly, he's hungry. How can he be Lazarus? The picture going goes on in verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, if you look at the passage closely here, and that's why I, mean, I want to spend a little bit more time looking at the parable, you'll notice there's a reversal. There's a reversal. In the first section, the rich man is introduced first, and then it's Lazarus, the poor man. But here there's a reversal. Lazarus is introduced first, and then the rich man. But it's not just a reversal in terms of the, uh, the way the narrative goes. There's a reversal in terms of status and situation. Because here, the beggar died, and he goes to Abraham's side. The rich man dies, and he goes to hell. He goes to agony and torment. Now, why does it say that Abraham, sorry, that uh, Lazarus goes to Abraham's side? Why doesn't he just say Abraham, sorry, Lazarus went to heaven? Now, in the ancient world for the Jews, Abraham was presumed, if anybody was in heaven, it was Abraham. Uh, we read in our responsive reading, Matthew chapter 22, uh, which is up here, where Jesus. Uh, was arguing with the Pharisees and he says to them, look, I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So it's believed that Abraham was with God in heaven. So two times in this passage, if you pay attention in the parable, it tells us that Lazarus went to be by Abraham's side. Why does it tell us that? Well, I think one reason is because it's a place of honor. Abraham was the father of Israel, the nation. The recipient of God's promises. The very first one, if you remember the Bible overview. So here we see that this Lazarus, who was despised and pitiful and pathetic, lying outside the gate of the rich man, a man with no status, now in his death gets elevated to the highest honor, the side of Abraham. But I think there's something more to this as well, and you can come and discuss with me later if you disagree. Because in the ancient world, when people had banquets and they ate, right, they didn't sit down around a round table like we do with the lazy Susie, right? But they used to uh, lie down and uh, eat. So if you remember the Last Supper with Jesus in the Gospel of John, uh, it, 
Jesus was like sitting, uh, lying down, and then another person was lying with Jesus back behind him, and Jesus turned and whispered to him behind him. So in the same way here, I think that when it says that Lazarus went to Abraham's side, it's actually giving us a, a picture that, that they are in a heavenly banquet, that they're actually here in the banquet, and, and Abraham is on the side of Lazarus. And I think that reinforces the reversal picture because here was Lazarus hungry, longing for scraps of bread, and now he's at Abraham's side in a place of honor, in a place of plenty and banquet of food. So I think the first application is very important to us, which is Lazarus, his name, the one whom God helps, can only be seen in eternity. In the ancient world, you would think that the rich man should be named Lazarus. Because this surely is the one that God helps, the one of the big mansion, the one with the 38 rooms, the one of the five courtyards, the one of the gate, the one of luxury. He is the one that God helps. He should be named Lazarus. But no, that's not true. Lazarus, the one God helps, can only be seen 50 million years time in eternity, or 50 billion years time in eternity. Because it is only in eternity where we will see the ones whom God truly helps. And I think as we look at this picture, we also notice that the reversal of comfort to suffering is so great in terms of eternity and this present world. You see, it is infinitely greater in terms of the difference between comfort and suffering in this world, both in quality and in quantity. So even though we would look at Lazarus and we would say, look, you look at Lazarus compared to the rich man, his suffering is so much the opposite of the comfort of the rich man in his mansion. But in eternity, the, the, the difference, the spectrum of comfort and suffering is so much greater because now the rich man is suffering in fire, in agony, in torment for eternity. Whereas now Lazarus is in comfort, is in fellowship, honor, with plenty, with Abraham for eternity. And I think the warning for us here is, even at this early stage of the parable, you need to avoid hell at all costs and seek heaven. Jonathan Edwards, a very famous Christian, I'll paraphrase because he wrote in Old English, said, All of present life must be lived out in the reality of eternal life. And I think that's very true. If you learn anything from this parable, it must be that the actions that we take today will have eternal consequences. And those eternal consequences will weigh much heavier on us than our present life. Now the passage then goes on in verse 24 and he says, So the rich man called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this fire. Now, you notice uh, the structure of the parable is very straightforward. In the first section, it's all about um, the description. In the second half of the parable, it's all about dialogue. But you notice one very important thing. In the dialogue 
the rich man never speaks to Lazarus. He always speaks to Abraham in order to speak to Lazarus. Oh, you need to put out the slide so it makes it easier to understand. Okay? And I think what it's really saying here is the rich man still treats Lazarus the same way he treated Lazarus in this world. He still sees himself as the rich man who calls all the shots. So he's not going to speak to Lazarus. He speaks to Father Abraham to ask Abraham to send Lazarus to help him. He still thinks he's a big shot even though he's in hell. And the agony of the rich man in hell is such that he just wants a a, a drop of water on his tongue to relieve himself of the agony. Now, I think that if we were to put ourselves in the rich man's shoes in hell, how should we have related to Lazarus when we see him in heaven? Well, I think that if this rich man was a repentant man, he would have spoken to Lazarus and said, Oh, Lazarus, please forgive me. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I mistreated you. I saw your agony, your suffering in this world, and I didn't help you. I ignored you. I was merciless. I was compassionless. I was loveless. But you notice the rich man doesn't speak to Lazarus. He only speaks to Father Abraham to call and instruct Lazarus to be sent to him. Now, in verse 25 to 26, But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now, it's interesting because uh, why would anybody want to go from heaven to hell? You can understand people wanting to go from hell to heaven. It's almost as if it hints that Lazarus may be tempted to go to hell to actually relieve the suffering of the rich man. But alas, in eternity... Your destination is irreversible, it is fixed, it is certain. For the rich man who received good things in this present life, there will only be bad things for eternity. For Lazarus who received bad things in this life, there will only be good things forever. There will be agony for the rich man and comfort for Lazarus. Their eternal, irreversible state. Now, the theme here, I think very confidently, is is the theme of too late. It's too late. When you die, it is too late. There is no replay. There is no redo. There is no second chances. For the rich man, the decisions that he made on this life are fixed in eternity. And the same way, it's actually a lesson and a warning for us that the decisions that we make today have eternal consequences. The roads you take, the choices you make, the paths you choose will have eternal consequences. That's what Jesus is saying, and it is too late. Now, we must be very careful here, and I want to stress this very carefully, that it is not that uh, the rich man was rich, and therefore he went to hell. Right? It's not saying oh, all rich people go to hell, and that was the sin of the rich man. He was rich, so he went to hell. Right? 
because you know you're rich now, so you're poor later. No, no, that's not what it's saying. Because Abraham, if you look here on the next slide, he was a rich man. Abraham was rich. If it was just about being rich, Abraham should be in hell. In Genesis chapter 13, it says, So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and lot with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. So the context here is very important. Uh, The parable of the rich man and Lazarus comes within a series of three parables, starting in Genesis, sorry, in Genesis, we've moved that already, from Luke chapter 15. And Luke chapter 15 is the parable of the prodigal son. And what is the main central lesson of the prodigal son? It is the lesson of repentance, of turning back towards God. The prodigal son left the father, he realized his mistake, he goes back, turns back to the father, he repents, confesses that he was wrong and then lives under the father's house. But here we see that the rich man didn't repent. He didn't have a living relationship with God. He no longer lived as a man who recognized God in his life. And we see that because he never showed compassion to Lazarus, the poor man. But even only the dogs came to lick his sores. The rich man never came to the poor man. And that shows that the rich man was an unrepentant sinner. Even in hell, you notice, the rich man is unrepentant. The rich man never confesses his sin. He never confesses that he treated Lazarus badly. Now, I like what one commentator said. You notice that in the parable, Lazarus is named, but the rich man is not named. So what this commentator said, again, you, you, you may think okay, this is, might be stretching it, but I think there's truth in this. The commentator said, well, why is it only Lazarus' name? Why not the rich man? And he said it's because Jesus wants us to imagine the possibility that our name is where the rich man's name should be. Because the rich man is deliberately left blank the possibility is it could be Andrew, or I'm not this Andrew, it could be me, right? Or Jimmy, or, or Freddie, or Cindy, or you know, Sammy, whatever. Because the rich man is a blank, it's asking us, will we be like the rich man in hell when it is too late? When we fail to repent, when we fail to live under God's rule. Now, verse 27, uh, the rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, week after week, when the Jews went to the synagogue, when they went to the temple, they would hear from the word of God in the Old Testament. They would hear from the words of Moses and the prophets. Now, 
The rich man says, that is not enough. It's not enough to have the word. There must be a supernatural sign. Right? The word and the sign will be enough to convince his brothers to repent and not make the same mistake as he made. But Abraham says no. Even if they have the word, but they don't listen to the word, the sign will not be enough. Not heeding the word shows that your heart will not heed the sign. Now, for us as Christians, and for those people who read the Bible, we know that the words of Jesus are true because Luke was like the first part of uh, Luke's writing, right? The second part was the book of Acts. If you remember, we preached on that uh, recently. And in the book of Acts, when the apostles went to preach after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, how did they preach? Do you remember? They always preached about the word, the words of Moses and prophet, the prophets, and the sign of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But many, many people, as we have read in the book of Acts, refuse to believe. In fact, the Jews, as we read further on in the book of Acts, even with the preaching of the word and the sign, rejected Jesus and became violent and persecuted the Christians and the apostles. So the lesson here is very clear. Right? If you don't listen to the word, then the sign will make no uh, effect on you. It is not the problem of the transmission, it is the problem of the recipient. And I think the lesson here also is very important to realize that the word and the resurrection sign of Jesus are not meant for us to become better people, more moral people, or happier people, or richer people. It is to warn us of the reality of heaven and hell, to repent and to follow Jesus, and to be saved. Now, uh, last week, um, remember we showed this during the service. It's like an uh, explanation of the meaning of Christmas, right? And I remember when uh, someone sent me the link, I went to the YouTube. And you know YouTube below, there are all these uh, readers' comments or watchers' comments. And I remember um, the first comment about a week ago. Anyway, now I went back. The comments are all blocked anyway. They're all removed, right? I don't know. That's a setting where you can take off all the comments. Anyway, this person was writing and saying, oh, you know, I came to look at your video thinking it was going to be a, a video making fun of Christians. You know? And now I find this garbage uh, explaining to me about the, the Bible and Jesus and things like that. You know, it's, This is stupid and ridiculous. And this person said uh, that they were a Christian up until the age of 18. And then they decided not to believe in Jesus anymore because... Um, God uh, never answered their prayers. And I was thinking, well, when you look at the parable of Jesus, the word and the resurrection of Jesus doesn't promise that it is for the answering of prayers. The word and the resurrection sign of Jesus is to warn people to repent and to turn to Jesus for the sake of eternal life. So if you look at the passage once again, next slide, you notice the key word, verbs right, that come through in the last four verses. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they would not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. 
No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will, be, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So the key thrust of the word and the signs are not happiness, joy, moral life, better person. It is about the preparation for eternal life by warning people, convincing people of the reality of eternal life and eternal hell and getting people to turn to the one who did rise from the dead. Now, there was a very famous evangelist who's recently died by the name of John Chapman. And I remember listening to a sermon of his many years ago. And he said, oh, he was preaching an evangelistic sermon and after the sermon, someone came up to him and accused him of scaring people by talking about heaven and hell. And he said, why do you have to talk about heaven and hell? You're just scaring people. And he said, look, uh, I didn't invent heaven and hell. Jesus speaks of the reality of heaven and hell. I remember reading a newspaper article which implied that it was the medieval church which invented heaven and hell to scare scare ignorant peasants to become believers. But Jesus here speaks very clearly in this parable of the reality of heaven and hell. In fact, he is the one who is speaking and warning us very clearly about that reality. So in conclusion, I want to come back to the introduction I gave. Right? Now, where is your home? Where is your focus? Uh, if you don't believe in the eternal life, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in Jesus, then These words of Jesus in this parable are warning you that there is a reality, an eternal reality of heaven and hell. And you need to be aware of that reality so that you may live in a way that makes the right choice of following Jesus so that you'll be saved from the bad agony and torment of hell. Now for us as Christians, I think we need to take more seriously our focus of the eternal destination for us. For being by Abraham's side, by being in a place of honor, by being in this heavenly banquet. Heaven is not this place where we will be really bored and just uh, singing hymns all day or bowing down to God. But in fact, it's a place where there is joy and celebration. Because if we focus too much on this present world, then it's very hard for us to keep persevering on our Christian life because we've lost lost focus on what really counts. See, Lazarus, the one whom God helps, can only be seen at the very end after you die. If you don't have a strong focus on heaven, then it's very hard to resist the seduction of the gods of this world, the seduction of wealth and luxury, the seduction of sensuality. Uh, How do you resist hardship and persecution and suffering in this world if all there is to the Christian faith and Jesus Christ is this world? But Jesus' words in this parable are very clear. Uh, There is the reality of heaven. And it is a wonderful reality, but there is also a reality of hell. 
And it is a terrible reality. So I hope that as we finish up 2017, we will see that actually 2017 is just one little drop in this whole ocean of eternity. But our real home is in heaven. And we need to keep holding on to Jesus and focusing and looking forward to that home and not seeing that our home is in this world. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may help us to ponder, to reflect upon, to be convinced by the words of Jesus in this parable. We pray that even as we leave today, at the end of 2017, uh, the profound impact of this parable will continue to resonate within us, to be something that uh, keeps us up at night thinking about it, and to really consider our actions in this present life, because there are eternal consequences. We pray for each and every one of us to be repentant and to be warned to turn to Jesus so that we will have a place by Abraham's side. We pray for our friends, our relatives, our workmates, that they too will not find themselves in the place of the rich man where it is too late. Help us see that in eternity, our our destinations are irreversible and certain and fixed. And we really pray, dear Father, that that conviction and knowledge of that reality will keep us firm in our perseverance in Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.